and welcome to episode 120 of Together BHA. My name is Josh, as always. Uh, I want to take a quick moment to thank my Patreons. Uh, Tom Shelley, new Patreon. Thank you, Tom. February 23rd. Uh, Kenny Shalita, Ezra Thompson, John Fitzpatrick, Nick Axford, William Montgomery, ex-guest, Chris Baranko, Sarah Ellix, Ellis, Alex Pressland, Daniel Lawrence from Palace's Review as well, and Nick Murray. Uh, thank you all for subscribing to the Patreon. I'm actually in the process of ordering a new webcam for our interviews that we do in tonight today. So thank you for the uh, the donations. That's exactly where the money's going this week. Um, I'm today joined by John Lang, uh, obviously a fellow Albion fan. Um, welcome to the show, John. How's it going? Hi, Josh. Yeah, um... I'm laughing because if I wasn't laughing, I'll be crying. Um, I think you've just got <laughs> to look at the positives. But yeah, I'm doing okay. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Um, so you're obviously more of a local. You're not one of the the international fans that I get on on occasion. Um, so do you want to just tell uh, tell the listeners about yourself, your origin, your kind of growing up story of supporting the Albion? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I come from uh, a town called Burgess Hill, which is about 10 miles uh, north of, of Brighton. And I was trying to think back, I can't actually remember my first game. So I started following the Albion back in 1982-83 when I was a teenager. Um, my auntie actually got me interested and took me down to the old Goldstone ground, uh, stood on the chicken run, which was the East End, went to the FA Cup final, which was superb. Um, and then... Um, 84, 85, um, one of our family friends used to run the Ball Boys and I used to be taken down there by him, a guy called Keith Cuss. People might know him as a guy that got sacked uh, for heading the ball back when we were running up against Man City on a game, um, trying to waste a bit of time. Um, but he got me down there in the West End, free tickets, and um, I started helping out in the Players' Lounge um, in the gold Goldstone ground, even though I was 16 at the time. Um and this was just an old-fashioned box room. It wasn't a proper um, bar like you'd see nowadays. And, um, you know, this is a time when there's players like Danny Wilson, Terry Connor, uh, Steve Penny, Joe Corrigan, Martin Keown was down there, Jimmy Case, Frank Worthington. So I was mixing with all those players and, um, you know, seeing then some of the opposition coming in. And we, we played Liverpool one game. And I always remember it because I was just going around my, with my... Um, uh, autograph book and getting the autographs of Ian Rush, um, you know, Graham Souness and players like that. And I walked out the door and bump, bumped into Bob Paisley, which was my uh, my most treasured autograph that I've got in my book. So great memories from then. Um, I then progressed into the North Stand when I was old enough to go down on my own with mates. We used to go to away games, so in the 86 and 90s. We used to jump in the car on a Friday night, go up to where the game was, sleep in the car and then go and watch the match uh, on the Saturday. Um, and then, obviously, the last match at the Goldstone came, um, 1997. Uh, I've got a bit. Of, I had a bit of turf in my old back garden uh, that I dug up uh, when we all invaded the pitch. Um, and then I kind of lost a bit of interest. I have to say, you know, probably I'm not a hard, hardened Brighton supporter going across to Gillingham and then with Dean. Um, you know, I, I used to train athletics when I was at school at the with Dean. I always found it hard going there watching a game of football. Uh, but, you know, family came along. I started coaching my, my son's uh, football team, 2004-2015, so didn't really have a lot of time in those early days. Uh, we occasionally took the boys there uh, down there to watch it with Dean. I went to the playoff game in 2004 in Cardiff, and that was that was great memories. Um, we won 1-0 against Bristol City, I think. And then, um, obviously, the Amex came. And, and funny story, my, my son 
uh, was um, he, I think he supported Tottenham uh, at the time, you know, through their mates at school. And he wasn't too keen. And, and we actually, we got a season ticket right at the very end when there was only a handful left. So we managed, I managed to persuade him um, and he got the bug, you know, September 11. Unfortunately, I missed the first game where we beat uh, Doncaster. I think it was 2-1 because I stupidly booked a holiday and didn't come back in time. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been magic at the Amex. Um, you know, everybody praises the stadium. Um, we now go with um, a group of mates. There's normally about eight, eight of us, eight to ten of us. We meet down the pub, down in Brighton, uh, Duke of Wellington uh, or the Caxton. Um, have a few beers afterwards. Go to away games as well. So we went to a lot of the championship away games, all of the first season Premier League um, away games. Um, just, just enjoy the crack and just the banter. Um, so yeah, so the, the the journey since '82 has been kind of up and down, but let's say these last um, ten years have been absolutely magical. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I remember when I I also booked a holiday, and I was I just got back before the Donny game, and <laughs> I remember calling the ticket office and saying. I just like, is there any chance there's any tickets left? And they said, we've got 12 in the East stand 12. Do you want one? And I was like, yes. Cause they were like, there's no, uh, there's no groups. It's just sick 12 solos. Um, I was like, I'll take it, whatever you've got. Um, I ended up sitting right next to Gully's girls for the entire game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at 20, that at 20, that was a great result. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a hell of a game that it's, it's kind of bizarre to me that, You've been a fan for almost 40 years in a couple of years' time. And uh, the game we're going to talk about today is is still introducing new things to you. <laughs> things you've <laughs> never seen before. After 40 years of watching the Albion, they, uh, they continue to deliver fresh and exciting content. <laughs> Where'd you start? <laughs> uh, I mean, truly, right? I mean, coming into this after Monday was was not great. Um, but you wanted to see a reaction early. Uh, we made when we, you know, when we put out the lineup, we, we'd gone away from that back three. We'd gone to a back four with Burn at left back, Veltman at a more kind of cons- con- conservative right back role, and and we decided to bring in Connolly um, as that man as a replacement um, instead of uh, who was the one that's got dropped? Uh, it was Azate. Azate, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad because he was the one I just brought up Monday as well uh, mm. that I didn't want to see in there. So we kind of went a little bit more direct with two strikers. What was your what was your first thoughts when you saw the lineup? At least, so you know, I, I saw on social media people criticising you know Malpay Connolly up front, but I, I get why Potter did it because if you think back to the Liverpool game at home, those two caused Liverpool problems, and you know they, they have they have games where they do play well together. Um, for me, I was disappointed. I thought Welbeck, you know, I still feel there's something there if we can keep him fit. Um, and also Lalana as well. You know, it's, it's okay to say we've got the guy in and he's, he's, he's working his magic behind the scenes, great influence on the youngsters and the team. But he's got to start performing on the pitch. And I, and I, I think what Potter's tried to do is he, we were critical of him uh, of chopping and changing his team a lot and actually people playing like strangers. Um, and he's actually started to keep you know, the spine of the team pretty similar. Um, but, you know, th- those are the two that I just thought that um, if, if they were in, I'll be happy. 
but I, I do understand why he went for the starting lineup that he did. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, uh, especially with the Lalana Welbeck, not so much, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but with the with the Lalana piece, these are these are the sort of games after we've you know been so disappointed on Monday. These are the sort of games you need a player like that to start if he's capable of it. Um, and and you know he's been capable of coming on for a fair amount of time in the last couple of weeks, so it feels like this is exactly the sort of game we signed someone like Adam Lalana for mm-hmm. um, to come on and and kind of lead that team to to some kind of result. And I was really disappointed not to see him play. Um, I would have been just fine if you would have just done a straight swap with with Alzate for Lalana instead of Connolly um, and, and stuck with a back four and gone that way. I just, I was surprised to see him not start today again. Um, so I totally agree, especially when, you know, he was able to come on in the second half, right off and play the rest of the game. Yeah, it's as though that he's he's they've resigned themselves to actually that he's he's not going to be a starting player and and he can only last you know for maybe half or two thirds of the game. I, I don't know. There's clearly a concern that he will do long term damage. I think otherwise, why wouldn't you put Lallana in your starting lineup? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, especially you know it, I, I understand the, also the argument of not changing a win inside, but we we didn't win Monday, so it would have been a good time to to justify a change like that. Um, in terms of the that like the overall match stats, they read the same as the last couple of weeks. Really, fifteen shots, seventy percent possession, six on target. Uh, two of them were blocked. You know, we we dominated them in pretty much every aspect you could you could hope to dominate a team in um except the goal uh and and the score line um where do you want to start from the i guess we would start from the goal itself or do you even want to point out that we had such a lack last lackluster first 11 minutes in the first place yeah i think the lead up to 11 minutes when the goal uh, i think to be fair, I think that, that I, I assume that, that West Brom won the toss because the toss was a good one to win because of the sun. Yep. So I think that that caused us quite a few problems in those opening ten minutes. Um, but we were wasteful, you know. We, we we weren't good in possession, and it's becoming a bit of a theme at the start of first and second halves at times. Um, you know, the West Brom. I've seen. I've watched quite a lot of football. Being in lockdown, it's that's one of the one of the, the the positives of lockdown is you've got so much football you can watch on TV. And West Brom do start quickly, and it just felt as though they were muscling out. Um, but yeah, and then the goal came, and it. I thought we got over this zone of marking problem. Um, you know, uh, Malpe's, you know, that first blocker to Bartley, and he just lets him run past him, and then it's almost as if no one knows who then takes the runners. So basically, if you can't get your head to the ball, they've got a free header. So I thought we'd, we'd sorted that, but it was just so disappointing to see a free run, free header. And, you know, I think maybe Sanchez got caught out by the sun because he ditched his cap straight afterwards, didn't he? Yeah, he, he threw it, fris, frisbeed it <laughs> onto the sideline. Um, yeah. and But I think you're spot on. Like we, And it's... Not only did I think that we'd got rid of that problem with the zonal marking problem, because I, I remember we were talking about it at length at Christmas, um, and it, and it seemed in January we we'd turned a, a corner a little bit, but West Brom are known for it. That's that's yeah. their bread and butter, isn't it? Like, how did we, like, what? It just blows my mind that we uh, we eleven minutes in we we were under the cosh. They started quickly, as you said, and uh, and and we've succumb to such an obvious tactic it feels 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's so disappointing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've written down in my kind of notes to sort of sum up, I, I put it, does, does Potter do the hairdryer treatment? Because, you know, for me, you, you've got to get these players in a room and just throw grenades at them. And I put it, we're too nice, take them to an army camp. You know, it, we, we, we just need to harden up. And, and it feels as though, the, I feel the players are letting the manager down. You know, we're making basic mistakes. Um, and at times we're, we're not passing the ball that well when, when we should be. And, and yeah, it, it, he, he must be so frustrating, but he's so placid, Potter, isn't he? And I, I just wonder whether he, he, he does do the Alex Ferguson treatment at times, but I don't think he does. Yeah, it's hard to tell, isn't it? But I, I would be inclined to agree. I, I just can't imagine him losing his call. <laughs> um, I, I, and I feel like he could probably do with it every now and again. Uh, it's it's one of those things that I, I like the idea of an army camp. I mean, I also th- I also think a part of this is is the youth, right? Like we've insisted in in going for a younger side, and with that comes a slight naivety, inexperience. And I think that would also be kind of addressed in that manner if you if you kind of did the right you know background training to to beef these lads up we've seen alexis McAllister get a lot stronger on the ball in the last you know 18 months and and i'll i just wonder if we could do with that for the whole team really um so next up i mean we weren't particularly great after the goal was conceded but we uh we at least put them under a little bit more pressure um and then the penalty was awarded um, for me, I think it was a pretty much straightforward penalty to give. Um, while I understand that that Dan Burns a big lad and trying to you know go muscle to muscle with him is a bit rough, uh, you probably shouldn't attempt it by kind of Superman punching the ball <laughs> as the ball's in the air. Uh, you kind of you have to find some other way to mark him because you're not going to be able to go shoulder to shoulder with a six foot seven uh, defender. So I think to me the penalty was cut and dry. Do you agree? Uh, as soon as I saw it on the replay, I thought that you, you can't not give a penalty for that. So that's a good VAR decision. So that's, that's pleasing to see. You know, if you look at that 16 minutes um, when the yeah, we went out for a corner, that was our first proper chance after 16 minutes. So Connolly deflected the, the, the chance uh, wide. Um, and then obviously, then, as you say, the, the handball came. So it, it took us a good you know, third of the first half to actually get going and we created a good chance and then we created the opportunity. But um, <laughs> Pascal, he's normally so reliable, but it, it, he seemed to scoop it. it. It was like a golf shot, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like it It was almost, it was just a, a bizarre take. Um, yeah. it, it, I, saw a t- I saw a tweet today that said uh, only Brighton could reliably make Germans miss penalties. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just an unbelievable achievement. Um, I remember I said to my wife at the time, I was like, we have just dodged a massive bullet if we score this because we haven't deserved this for the first 20 minutes. Um, but I was actually quite pleased, uh, at least in that kind of time between the penalty miss and and the, the drama with the free kick, the farcical uh, free kick incident. Um, I was genuinely quite impressed with our response to it. Um, we continued to dominate the ball. We continued to not be anywhere near as wasteful as we had been before. I thought for that 10 minutes, we we actually responded well to the penalty miss, which is something that in previous games we'd been really poor at. Um, you know, Mopai just outright walked off the other the other week when we, uh, when we missed that penalty. Um, and and we ended up winning that free kick on the edge of the box. And, uh, and the rest was history at that moment. 
Um, the entire thing was a mess from start to finish. Lewis Dunkers came out after the game. Have you seen the the clip on Match of the Day from him yet? I, I, t- I t- turned the TV off to be honest. I've not, I've not watched it. So uh, so Lewis has turned around and, and held no pulled no punches whatsoever. Um, he's turned around and said it was an embarrassment. Uh, he said he he got the kick free kick, placed it on the spot that he was told to place it on. He asked the ref if he could take it. The ref blew the whistle. He took the free kick. He scored, and then the ref changed his mind. He hasn't given any reason. He won't talk to him at halftime, and he's still yet to understand why it was ruled out. He says there was pressure from the bench that made Mason change his mind. Um, Lewis was not a happy boy. He said the ref should come out and explain himself, uh, but he won't. He'll continue to hide behind his bubble, was his words. Um, mm. What was your take on that minute by minute? Because there was about six minutes involved in that play. <laughs> there was, and... It, and- so, so Sky, I was watching it on Sky, and um, yeah, there was a very clear whistle. So absolutely no problem with the take of the free kick. And it, it's almost as if Mason has then looked at where the keeper was, and he's thinking, oh dear, I've not given the keeper a chance to get across, which you know, I always thought, and this is really frustrating with football, is I thought free kicks, you know, it's the it's advantage for the attacking side. So Referees always seem to slow it down, wait for the whistle, and and it's the defending team that actually takes the advantage. But you know, when when Sky played it back, the, they're saying it was disallowed due to the second whistle and the ball was still in play. Well, I froze it exactly as I heard the second whistle, and the ball was in in between the the, the goal line and the net. It was definitely in the goal. So they were. VAR were looking at offside as well. There were two players that were, I think, offside from the original shot, but they weren't interfering with play. I, I almost kind of got the impression that VAR were trying to dig Lee Mason out of a hole. And it, it was all about protecting the referee. And it turned into an absolute shambles. And this is Lee Mason, the same referee as the Wolves manager, got fined £20,000 for a few weeks ago when he said, I yep. don't want Lee Mason to ever referee one of my games again. All through the game, he just looked out of his depth. You know, I get frustrated with players that fade injury. You know, free kicks, it's a contact sport, you know, and every single little touch now is given as a free kick. And I just thought he had a terrible game, but I I don't think he's a very good referee. In a bunch of very poor referees, I think our standard refereeing as a whole across the Premier League has gone down considerably. And, you know, I like VAR because VAR used properly will actually get the right decisions. It's the people behind it. The referees are not good enough. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. I, I, I wish my camera was on cause I'm nodding vigorously. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of like, and, uh, and I'm trying to be as uncontroversial as possible, but when, there are certain occasions here in America where the police do things that they shouldn't be doing and the police investigate themselves and find no wrongdoing. Now, obviously this is a totally different level of stakes, right? People's lives are at risk in the, in the, with the police stuff, but the referees are, are exactly the same here. They, they, they referee themselves. They, how can you expect VAR to get the results we need when you, you turn around and say, Oh, uh, we've investigated the referee with VAR. We've looked at the decision and we've decided it was the right one. And mm. the people making that decision are also the referees. Like, of course, you're going to find that he's done nothing wrong. You're backing your man. Mm. I think that 
you're exactly right. It was VAR digging him out of a hole because the people behind are his colleagues. And VAR with an impartial, you know, even if it's just an impartial geek with a book that just looks at the rules as they go through, it's going to give you 100% more accuracy than the people that are currently there. Yeah. And, and I read it really an article this week. The Premier League referees, I think, are paid about 100 to 120,000 pounds. So they're paid a significant whack of money. And then they've got a bonus pool of up to 50,000. And that's cut as mistakes are made. So that they are paid so well. And I think the time has come for referees to, be, to have to come out and face the cameras after the game. You've got managers that come out and players that come out. I think you've got to be able to ask referees why they made the decisions that they did when they are so controversial. Because I think people are losing uh, patience. And you, you look back to the Mike Dean incident you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, absolutely no way should a referee be abused and threatened and their family threatened on social media. That is totally out of order. But unfortunately, what happened there was that deflected away from the problem of Mike Dean, where he had those two bad weeks making some very terrible decisions. And he actually put his hand up and said, I want to miss next week's fixture because my family's been threatened and I've been threatened. Fair enough. You know, take yourself out of limelight. But it's deflected away from the actual main core issue here is it ain't good enough. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's frustrating. So they are protected so much. The time has come, in my view, to be able to quiz them, you know, comment, commentators, you know, sports reporters, um, uh, Mike Riley, I think Mike, is it Mike Riley who heads up the, the yes. Professional Referees Association. Something's got to change there uh, because um, it, it, it's it's becoming a joke. I think at the at the very bare minimum, we need to have a lot more transparency on the after match notes. I think you oh. need to be able to have a full. Uh, moment by moment scrutiny of what they were writing in their book and what they were noting down with VAR at the time of the decision. Like I I want transcripts. I want to hear what was said. Mm. And I think that that is more than fair to ask for. Even if you're not putting them on the spot at the end of the game, I think that that level of scrutiny has long since been needed because we can at least then understand and they can be held to account. There's no there's no reason for, for referees to investigate other referees at that point. We can all see what they've written. And if it's a mistake, then we all know it's one. And that can be dealt with, hopefully, from there. If it's not, you have a ton of receipts to hold them accountable. Um, I mean, I, I hate to Americanize the sport because it just uh, there's a lot about American sports I hate. But with decisions like that, I, I truly think that the referee or VAR need to come on some kind of microphone that can be broadcast out through the stadium speakers and say, this is a decision I've made and here's why. In the same way that some of the NFL refs do the same thing. Like, hey, we've threw this flag because there was an offside decision here. Da, 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 da. Like that's at the bare minimum, we need something because... If there would have been fans in that stadium today, they would have A, rioted, (laughs) and B, they would have gone home after 90 minutes not understanding a decision from a basic, like, fundamental level. And that's something that shouldn't be acceptable in any sport. Yeah, and and I I think I agree with you. I think the the micing up, for me, I think will solve the problem of referees being abused by by the players themselves, you know. And these even old players, ex-players, have been coming out recently and saying, you know, hands up, I used to abuse the referee um, and I'm ashamed of it now. You know, and I'm sure they get a a lot of abuse directly on the pitch. And I think micing them up 
you know, having everybody being able to listen to what's going on around them, you know, will hopefully improve the game in some way. Because I, you know, I used to referee a few games uh, years ago, um, kids football as well as adult football, and it's a tough gig. You know, it's, it's not an easy job, but you know, I, I think we have to find ways to to help them improve. I really do. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all well and good criticizing them. Uh, I think we need to come to the table with solutions, but I think the solutions we have are more than reasonable. I think that we have them like right in front of our face and we're not choosing to use them. Um, Halftime went shortly after that. Uh, There wasn't a great deal going on, you know, between then and uh, and the end of the first half. Um, Was there anything that you wanted to pick up on between the free kick and the the final, the kind of halftime whistle? Well, I, I wrote down here a couple of West Brom chances, actually. I, 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 I don't think West Brom really had any proper chances second half, but actually there was a chance midway through the half. Uh, Diagana had a clear header that should have done better. Uh, we didn't cut the cross out. And then uh, right in the 49th minute, Maitland-Miles Maitland ran Ooh, straight yes. through our defence and Sanchez pulled off a good save, you know, with his feet. I think it was, I can't remember. But you know, there were two good chances there for, for West Brom to actually put daylight uh, so, you know, we, we go to second half now, 1-0 down. And actually, I always thought if we could nick a goal, that we were going to win the game. I, I really did. A uh, bit, bit like, um, you know, last week and maybe um, other games as well. Um, we, we, we're, we're not scoring enough goals when we're in the ascendancy. And um, and we, we put more pressure on ourselves. And that's where I think our lack of finishing comes from. We get just too overexcited and we're trying to, we try too hard. Um, so, but it's, uh, yeah, second half, all, all Brighton really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, 71% possession. Uh, they could not string a pass together. 61% pass accuracy for West Brom in the second half. That is, uh, that's proper Hewton back to the wall stuff when we were at our very worst in the Premier League. Um, we had nine shots, three on target, a couple of them blocked. Um, and, you know, even prior to the pe- the second penalty, right, we we had a fair few opportunities that we we really did poorly on. Um, the main one that I can obviously think of is Aaron Connolly uh, after the shot that was kind of rebounded out. Uh, he he really had not a really easy, but a relatively easy from a Premier League striker's perspective goal to pop in the back of the net that he skied over the bar. Um, and uh, there was, an, was it Mopai also had a no? I think Mopai was the first half. He had a good chance between um, the penalty and the and the free kick. I think, but generally, uh, Veltman Veltman had a header he should have done a lot better with. That was the uh, the second attempt that I saw there between right. the penalty and, and the yes. Yeah. And you know, despite the uh, the free kick mess, and and you know, I think that does change the face of the game an awful lot. Um, we do also have ourselves to blame a huge amount today, don't we? Because we we then go ahead and get a second penalty in the 75th minute, um, one that was arguably more of a will it, won't it be a penalty than the first? Um, because he did get the ball first, but he also came in from behind. So I can I think it was one of those that it's not clear and obvious enough for me. What do you think on that penalty? Yeah, I, I agree. I think if it if it hadn't been given, VAR wouldn't have intervened. So I think you're right. We, we've got the luck there that actually the referee gave it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, so you look at that. I think they said Welbeck has only taken two penalties in his time and, and not, neither of those have been in the Premier League. Um, 
I was thinking, who else could take it? I, I think Lalana. Not sure if he's taken penalties. You'd have thought he would have composure on the spot. But uh, I think Malpay's done and dusted with penalties. If I'm honest. Um, yep. Uh, that's Dunkey. You know, he, he's shown that he can take a penalty or two um, in shootouts. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, I, I wasn't sure about whether Welbeck was the backup or did he grab the ball. I don't, I don't know. Well, it looked like when they were on the spot, it looked like there was a very clear discussion going on between him and Bissouma uh, over who was going to take it. Um, I I honestly was hoping Bissouma was going to win that argument. I, I didn't feel filled with uh, confidence with Danny Welbeck stepping up. Uh, just I think it's the Englishman taking a penalty curse that just goes into the back of my head every time. Um, I, I personally would have preferred to see Bissouma do it. But then I also worry that Basuma may have tried some kind of chip shot and just been an idiot uh, in the same way that Luckman was, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. The penalty itself, though, was, again, clearly not good enough. We, we failed to hit the target twice uh, from penalties. That was a record as well. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Brighton are the first team to have hit the woodwork from two penalties uh, in, in one game in Premier League history. Um, is that, is that yeah. up there with our with our record against Man United earlier in the season when we hit the, hit the bar on the post five times? Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I tell you, opposition teams must be reinforcing their woodwork for when we visit. Um, <laughs> it's just astounding and similar. Really, going off of what you said earlier, when we got that penalty, I, I truly said to myself, "I was like, if we score this, I think we're going to win." I think even then, with you know twelve minutes to go after the penalty had been taken, I, I think that we probably would have gone on and got a second one. Yeah, and I think what what happened. I've look at my notes is you know, uh, West Brom then started to feign injury, some really silly fouls, really slow the game down, and it, it got into that kind of last fifteen minutes where you, you're looking at the clock, thinking, "Come on, come on, make something happen," and and the. Play was just always. I'd be interested to see what the stats are of how much the ball was in play that last fifteen minutes because it felt as though West Brom done a number on us by actually just slowing the game down and managing it in a in a in a way that just frustrates teams, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I think you're right. They they kind of big sand themselves into that last fifteen minutes, no doubt. Um, in terms of the substitutes that took place, uh, Adam Lallana came on for McAllister at halftime. And, and Welbeck came on for Conley at the hour. Um, we'll talk about the last one shortly. Were you were you happy with those two substitutions? Did you think they were the right moves to make or were there other options that you wish would have been utilised? I, I was pleased with the individuals coming on, you know, so I, I think, but I, I feel from the canister, if I'm honest, whether there's a niggling injury still there. It, for me, it would have been Trossard. Um, I just don't think he did enough first half to warrant staying on the pitch. Um, and I think McAllister's, he, he seems to be the first one off. And people say you can't play Lallana and McAllister in the same team. Well, I disagree with that because I think the way we interchange and, and you know, we're, tactically, I think we're pretty sound. Um, those two can quite easily play in the same team um, if you if you organise it appropriately. So, yeah, that was a surprise to me. And, 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 and maybe there's an underlying reason there. Yeah, I agree with you, though. I, I, I really didn't want to see Alexis coming off. I, I think he's really quite a good player. Um, he's really grown into himself. Uh, in terms of Danny Welbeck coming on for Connolly, for me, it was kind of just toss a coin, then fine, like him or, or Zakiri, whatever you prefer. Mm. Um, Jakub Moda came on 
uh, with about six minutes to go for Ben White. Um, we went about as attacking as you could at that point. <laughs> uh, we went with kind of a back three of, of Veltman, Dunk and Burn um, and just kind of let everybody else go forward. Um, and, and I say we had a back three. Burn was up top quite a bit as well. <laughs> so it was almost a back two a lot of the time. Um, I thought Moda looked all right when he came on. I think he played a good couple of passes. He he looked very confident on the ball. Um would you have liked to have seen someone even more attacking come on, or do you think that that was an okay move? Yeah, I, I think you look at. I think I think Noda. I think is, is one for the future. I, I, I do like the look of him. I think he had a good game when he played in the cup. Um, and, I, and I like you. I agree. I think he, he he looks like he's playing out of position, but he did a good job. Yeah, a very dangerous cross in the last few minutes. You know, there was a great tackle from Bartley on him uh, that could have led to a goal. So he contributed in, in a very short space of time. So I, I like that. The only thing was, I'm feeling a bit for Percy Tell, um, you know, because he played that first game against Man City. And actually, I thought, oh, this is a player. You know, he, he looks as though that the loan moves have actually really improved it. And since then, Potter's not really, I don't think, giving him a chance. It's it, it's a it's a strange one, really. Um, so uh, what's your views on that? I agree with you. I I, I was just floored that, that he didn't come on for Ali Reza uh, as opposed to Ali Reza for Palace. Um mm. on Monday, I, I I was stunned. And and I don't know whether it's the um, you know, the idea of have him experience the match day squad, have him get him up to date with English football, blah, 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 blah. But I I would like to see more of him. Um, and, and today would have also been fine. You know, if you'd have took off Trossard for him at the end, even, I think that would have been fine by me. Um, I, I feel for him too. I, I really do think that he needs to, uh, to start getting some game time. He's not similar to, right, look at Moda, uh, Connolly, um, Zakiri, like they're they're young, they're very young. You know, they're all twenty one years old. Tao is twenty six. He's one of those players that you need to hope hits the ground running um, because he doesn't. You know, he needs to be making an impact now. Alexis McAllister has took eighteen months to really get up to the speed of the English game and add some bulk onto himself, but he's still only twenty two. Like that's great. Like we've given him loads of time, but Tao's twenty six. I feel like he should be making more of an impact quicker. Yeah. And I- I think what we're paying now for the fact that, I wrote down here, there's four games that we've dropped eight points recently. So you've got Palace, West Brom. I think there were three points, both games there. So it's six, easily won. Aston Villa, we should have won that game, two points. And Fulham at home, really, I think we should have won that. So we've dropped eight points. We'd have been on 34. And that provides Potter with a breathing space in. So you're pretty much safe by the end of February. And then you've got these players that are on the fringes. You know, your, your towels, um, your, your Carbofnics, your Moders, Sakiri. Um, you, you've got the opportunity to really give them a go so they can get experience. I think the problem, we're drawn into that relegation battle now. And he's going to look and think, oh, they've got a lot of game time. Can I really trust them to do a job for me? So, you know, it, 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 I think it's going to be brave. And, you know, I getting off topic a little bit but I you know for me the last few weeks there's been three players that I think there needs to be some fundamental changes uh, and and perhaps it's an opportunity to actually um, you know blood some of these youngsters so for me Dan Byrne you know I've written down here so many notes about burnout of position again 
poor pass, you know, got, got, go, goes over, over everybody or goes out of play. You know, sloppy, sloppy passing. Um, you know, I think he had a great start to last season and everybody thought, well, you know, where's this guy been? And this year, I think we started to see maybe, you know, the uh, naivety of um, the positions he's been asked to play in. And I and I would like to see Karbovnik in now. Uh, I was surprised to see him in the under-23s yesterday. Um, yeah, this is a guy, Bernie's a guy six foot seven and he's not scored a goal for the Albion yet. You know, that's, come on. So that, <laughs> we, something fundamentally wrong there. So I think you've got, Especially, there. especially with a set piece taker like Pascal Gross. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think Bernie's not that mobile when it comes to um, yeah, mark, zonal marking or man on man marking. He's he's not able yeah. to break his way through. So you've got you've got a change there that I think will freshen it up. You've got I I have been Neil Malpo's one of the biggest biggest critics um, in the last couple of months. So I, I think for someone who we invested twenty million pounds on, um, you know, uh, beginning of last season, it, it's his second season in the Premier League. You know, this season, fifty six shots, twenty two on target, and of those, he scored four goals, ignoring the three penalties, um, and one of those was a tap in. So you've only got three real crafted striker goals, eight big chances missed and one assist through the whole season. Now, for me, that is not an acceptable return for somebody that is our main number nine. The Potter is quite clearly you know, shown in his, his uh, selections. I am I'm putting my faith in Neil Mopay as my main striker. And that's fine. There's not a problem doing that. But now I think is the time to uh, to change. And you know, some people say, well, he works hard. You know, his link-up plays actually uh, improve. I agree with that. And his link-up play has improved, but that's there's more to a number nine. You need the guy scoring goals and creating chances. You you look at, look at your stats against the likes of Watkins for Aston Villa, who create who, who I see they scored early and he had an assist. You yep. look at other strikers, and you know trying hard and, and having a link-up play where you're back to the goal 35, 40 yards away from goal. That is just not enough. To retain your place as the as the as our number nine. But what, 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 what do you feel about that? No, I agree with you. Um, I I like Mopai a lot, and to me, I f- I feel like he is somebody that is suffering from having a lack of support. He he feels like a player that that needs to be playing off a bigger striker. I feel like if he could feed off of rebounds and drop downs and just scrambles in the box, I think he would score a lot more goals. But our style of play and our lack of height and our lack of, you know, anything like that in the box, it it leaves him having to be the man to create those opportunities. And that's just not his game. I don't think that's, it's, uh, I think that it's, it is a bit Craven Kale Smith in a way. We've, we've brought in a player that on paper should be good, but the way we're playing him isn't suited to the way he, he wants to play. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, you say, you say that. So if you look back to the Palace game last week, so Welbeck came on, didn't he, I think, for the Palace game? Um, I think he yes. came on. You did, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did, yeah. And then, and then Malpe um, had the ball and he played it behind him rather than in front of him. And, and Welbeck was there one-on-one with the keeper by the penalty spot. You know, poor pass. You, you look again today, there was a similar example where 63rd minute, um, Malpe in space, not being challenged, simple ball to free Welbeck in on goal. He overhits the pass. Yeah, you know, and, and that, way and that's, the pro- that's the problem with it. When he's got his back to the goal, 
he looks a good player because he does bring people into the play up the pitch. Yep. But when he's facing goal, he almost is, he's like rabbits in headlights a little bit with his passing and his shooting. Uh, there's something not quite right there. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think he should be starting going forward. I think that there has to be a, a different option going forward because, like you said, like he scored three goals of any significance all year that aren't you know penalties and stuff like that. Um, I think that there's. It also doesn't help that we haven't invested very well in the striking role, right? Like, because you look at what's behind him and you're not exactly inspired either, but something has to change. We have to try something different because, like you said, fair play, you've given him, you know, you've said he's your man, but he's not doing the business. So we have to look for someone else to try and do it. Even if it's short term and you work with Neil over the summer and hopefully he does next year with somebody else with him, whatever. But this year isn't it. Um and and he's one of those players that I, I would also like to see dropped. Um, both of the ones you've listed actually already that I, I fully agree with. Yeah. And, and my, th- my third one, and, and, and he, over the last month or so, in patches, he's been very, very good. He's, he's Trossard. I think, again, for somebody who we thought was going to be the new Hazard, you know, Belgium international, he hasn't kicked on. And... There's too many times here I've got here, um, you know, wasteful by Trossard. Um, you know, right at the very end of the game, he did so superbly to create some space when it was very tight in the 91st minute. He then turned back into trouble again rather than putting the ball out where we had two or three players in, in acres of space. He doesn't seem to be very clinical. Um, you know, he, he chops back in when he could when he could cross. Yeah, I, I, I just not seeing enough. Of the of you know, the good that that outweighs the, the poor performing side. So I, for me, you know, I would like to see proper given a chance in a more advanced position because you know we've been saying now for a number of years that's where he plays very well for Holland. Um, you've got Lallana. We talked about Tau already, um, you, and, you, and you've got McAllister as well that comes into that mix. So yes, those are the three that have frustrated me uh, more and more as past month or so has gone on that I think I would like to see Potter actually um, making a positive change. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. Um, I would also go so far as to say I wouldn't be upset to see Pascal Gross dropped either. Um, and and if that's the case, we, you know, if we were to drop Gross for Lalana, uh, you know, I would be, or proper even, you know, I would be 100% fine with that. Um, I He obviously still offers a lot at set pieces, but the rest of the team don't. So it almost feels like he's wasted in that position anyway. Um, when we we could do with a bit more pace and bite and, and Gross has never been a pacey player. Um, he's he's probably the only one that you haven't mentioned that if, if I had to pick four, he would be added to that list um, that I would maybe want to see given some time out. And, you know, like you said, we have we have proper, we have uh, we have Yakamoda, uh, we have Alzate. We have Lalana that should have been, you know, we have McAllister. We have a wealth of midfielders um, and, and the current midfield three aren't getting it done. Um, I think Basuma is close to undroppable because even when we play bad, he tends to play well. Um, and yeah, to me, I think that he's one of those first names on the team sheet. But outside of that, you know, I think that midfield three, a uh, uh, subject to change. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Basim. I think he's been our standout player for me. Um, I think he's been absolutely superb. I, I look at though the Basima and Grace over recent weeks and I see a bit of fatigue coming in because those are the two players that Potter continually played all the way through that period where we had a, a number of games in quick succession. So they played in the cup games, didn't they? And I and I just wonder with those two whether the pace of the season, the regular fixtures is starting to catch up catch up them a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I mean, Gross has played a lot of time, game time since the new year as well. Uh, I don't think he missed a minute um, in the Premier League and even a couple of cup games. Um, in terms of the, the the game today, do you have uh, any standouts that you at least want to give some praise to? Because <laughs> uh, I mean, we we've we've pretty much gone through the uh, the disappointments quite thoroughly. Um, is there anything you want to call out as uh, as things to take away as a positive experience? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a good one. I think um, it was difficult. I, I once again, I think we we created chances, and and that's why I'm a Potter man because I think that in it, it, I love Chris Hutton to bits, and I think he's a god for the Albion. Yep. But I, I that second season where we were just not creating anything, and there was two games where I left on the 80th minute for the first time ever because it was we just couldn't even put past the ball into the opposing half. And I look at now, look at West Brom, you know, they set up difficult to beat. They were very organised. They packed the midfield, very strong in defence, blocking. But we still managed to create chances. So whilst we've been pretty negative, rightly so, I think, because of the frustrations of the last two games, there are many positives here on the style of play. And people might say, well, style of play is nothing. But yeah, you know. If I'm in a relegation battle, I'd like to be a team that's actually creating chances because I know that we're going to start taking them. You know, we we will start taking them. If I look at the positives, I think um, apart from maybe Sanchez's early kind of frustrations with the, with the sun, I, I think, again, he's shown what a commanding keeper he's been. I, I, I do think he got blinded for the goal, but that's just yeah. one of those things. I think Veltman, I think, yeah, what a conundrum for Potter when, when Lempty comes back because... You know, maybe that's the solution here is obviously we've got Webster out to the end of the month now. You know, you could almost put Veltman, White and Dunk in a back three. Yes. And you've got Lamptey as your your right wing back. Um, Or or play just a flat back four, possibly, uh, when uh, when Webster comes back in. Uh, I think we've really missed. I think him driving into midfield, um, you know, I think he's had a superb season so far, creates that space for the team. Uh, because you've now got an extra player that's 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 in the play. So, you know, I think Veltman. I, I think whilst he was quieter, I still think he's he's in a, he's a rich vein of form at the moment. Um, Dunkey was, you know, Mister Consistent, and you know, uh, apart from that, I can't really think of anybody that was shining <laughs> a light there. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, Veltman led the way in tackles today. Led the way in clearances today. He was. Uh, once again, very good. Um, he, like you said, it's a, it's a heck of a conundrum and and almost uh, really a blessing in disguise for Potter because that that's a one headache he can avoid uh, with Webster going out. If he wants to go back to that back three, Joel can comfortably slot into that kind of centre-half role uh, and mm. allow Lamptey to maraud down that right-hand side again. Um, and, and, and I mean... You know we've got a week. We've got a week. Uh, we've got a lot of games going on between now and and Leicester next week. Um, I, I hope that you know if if Lamptey is ready, I hope we play him 
simply because I think we need everything we can get at this point. Um, we, you know, like you said, the, I think the positives is that we are creating chances. You know, we we walked away from the game with uh, a total referee in disaster class and two penalties. There's no way on God's green earth we should have lost it. Like, te- like you know, when you look at it, statistically speaking, you, to get two penalties and, and that incident with the free kick and to lose is just mind-blowing. Um, just baffling. It's it's wild. We are uh, we are quite the anomaly. Um, Fulham, Fulham have two games between now and uh, and us playing Leicester. They play Palace tomorrow and they play Spurs midweek. Um, Newcastle are a point below us. They play Wolves uh, and West Brom. Uh, the next two. Do you think they're going to catch us? Do you think that uh, we now need to be looking over our shoulder with a genuine sense of fear? Or do you still think that we, because for the last couple of weeks, the general consensus is we are creating chances. Eventually we'll score them. We're not going to go down. We'll be fine. What's the, what's, what's the temperature check feeling like today? So, so I've been feeling as though we could be in that uh, we're too good to go down kind of um, uh, jinx. I think, you know, um, you you look, you look at, you look at Bournemouth last year, and I, I used to like watching Bournemouth. I used to like the way they play football, created chances. Their defence wasn't very good, and that's the reason why they struggled. But, you know, we, we play similar football, I think, to the way Eddie Howe used to play for Bournemouth, and, and they went down, you know. so um, And they were, they were creating chances. Uh, so I think, yes, but we've always been in a battle because we've never been properly clear, and I think Fulham are starting to click. But... I've been looking at the fixtures. You know, so you've got so Brighton have got three fixtures in March. You've got Leicester at home, Southampton away, Newcastle at home. You would hope we get three or four points out of those three games. You know, you expect to beat Newcastle, Southampton in a poor run of form. Leicester, I'm not so hopeful. I, I think Leicester are a very tough side who are pushing for Champions League. But Fulham, you know, Crystal Palace, I can see them winning that game. Um, because Palace was so poor last week and Zaha still out. So, you know, but then you look at their next four games in March. You've got Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Man City at home, Leeds at home. Yeah, they are tough games. I, I don't expect Liverpool to continue to struggle at home. They, 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 they've got to start battering teams again or starting to win at home. So you look there, Fulham, I can only see one win out of five games there. But funny how things happen. I think for me, the team that look in a lot of trouble is Burnley. You know, they we're two points behind them. They've got four games in, in March, if you include the game tomorrow. So they've got Spurs away, Leicester at home, Arsenal at home, Everton away. Tough games. You know, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't win any of those and actually don't pick up any points. Uh, maybe a draw here and there. So Burnley are definitely in the mix. Newcastle... 25 points, one again. So they've got, they've got Wolves at home tomorrow. Wolves are a bit hit and miss at the moment. Then they've got West Brom, Aston Villa and, and LCRCL. So they've got three games there that you look at that and think, well, they, they could win it. But, yeah, uh, their top scorers, uh, I think Wilson's their top scorer. He's out for the season. So yeah, they are struggling. Yep. West Brom, I think, are too far. I, I think you look at West Brom and Sheffield United, um, whilst I think they could pick up wins here and there, yeah, and West Brom have got Everton, Newcastle and Crystal Palace in three games in March. Could get three or four points out of that possibly, but I think they're too far behind. So, you know, we're in it without a doubt. Do I think we can get out of it? Absolutely. I, I, I do. I keep the faith. Um, 
I think Fulham will go through a tough run. I think they've had a very good run of games where they've only lost one in seven or eight, I think it was. Yep. Um, but they're, they're now getting to that the, the fixture part where uh, the, the top teams are starting to come on the radar. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that this Palace game is massive for them um, and they really need to to get a result. I think if they do, I think that, you know, they're going to have to hope that they can carry the other way through. I think, like you said, that next three after them is brutal because uh, Spurs have Kane back. They're fully fit again. So those, you know, Son and Kane can't help themselves but score goals. Uh, and then Liverpool and Manchester City back-to-back is brutal. Um I, I, I do look way ahead down the fixture list and despite the way we're playing um, and how just disappointing it is to see us not scoring goals um, and throwing away results, it feels like. I, I can't help but look at that final game day and look at Fulham versus Newcastle and think that might be the game day decider and, and we may well just about have got out of it because of that. Yeah, I actually wrote that down. And also Sheffield United are playing Burnley. Ooh, yeah, I haven't seen that so one. <laughs> you, you, you've got four. You've got yeah, four teams there. Two, two, two games where, actually, as you say, they, they could play into the hands of the teams that are on the fringe, which we could well be. I hope we're not, but yeah. But I didn't mention Southampton as well. Southampton, whilst they've got thirty points, they're in a they're in a terrible run at the moment, and you know that they could get drawn into it as well, couldn't they? I think this is. I think you. you, you you're looking at over 35 points, I think, this year to keep yourself safe. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Everton play Southampton next, um, which is which is not an easy game uh, for for Saints at all. Um, and then the next one is Sheffield United. I mean, if they if they fail to to get a result against Sheffield United, it, it doesn't get any easier after that because they then have to go to Manchester City, um, and they are also in the FA Cup still. So they have games coming up that can also cause some damage there. Um, uh, you know, that 14th of March game against us could end up being one of those ones where, you know, if results start going our way a little bit more, we could end up leapfrogging them and, and they're in trouble that they didn't even think they had to worry about. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it comes back to this, you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. And I, I, I love stats. And I, I went through and looked at, so we've, we've drawn 11 and lost 10 games this season. So out of those 21 games, we've had 282 shots on goal. 282, 28% of those were on target, and we've only scored 18 goals in those 21 games. So, I mean, that's just shocking. It's terrible. It is terrible. Um, And and that's one of the reasons why I was was upset to see Murray sign for Notts Forest, because maybe it was wages, and maybe Murray just wanted to play football, but I just wanted Murray to teach our players how to compose themselves in front of goal. Because if I look back in you know the, the, the past seasons, Murray for me has been our best finisher under pressure. And I always remember that promotion season when you know he used to score goals and tell people to calm down and actually don't worry. And but he knew where the goal was, and he, and he always gave himself that little bit of extra time to compose himself and slot the ball exactly where um, we. We need him to. You know, the, the, the game at QPR, I always remember the the, the, uh, the promotion season where it was QPR away where uh, only scored that wonderful free kick, but yes. Murray scored the first goal. I was actually on the top tier on the first row. I don't know how I didn't fall over after celebrating, but that, <laughs> Mur- that Murray finish where Hemed put him in and he was one-on-one with the goal and it looked like an age for it to happen. And he gave the keeper the eyes and slotted it in the, in the, in the corner 
in a high pressure cooker kind of environment like QPR, small ground, crowd on top of you, shooting towards the Brighton supporters. Did I think he was going to miss? No. Do I think our strikers today, if they were in that same position, do I think they're going to score? No. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It, it, we need somebody. And I, it, I don't know, I don't know Potter's coaches where their skills are, but it feels as though we need an attacking coach if we don't have one. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know where their skill sets lie. Obviously, I know where Bruno's lays, uh, and it ain't scoring goals. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. Um, if we do, is there any reason in your head, regardless of staying up or going down, that Potter should be shown the door? No, no. To, uh, me, the the litmus test for me is we are playing great football. We've got a great squad. We've got youngsters coming through that can, have proved they can play at the very top level. We're creating chances. Um, so for me, uh, I, I don't like seeing managers sacked, you know, quickly into their tenor. And I, you look at some, the things that go on like at Watford. What, what a what a total share of what they at Watford. Yeah, they get into a bad run, they sack a manager. You know, I, yep. I, I, I think Tony has got a vision. He's plowed so much money into the club. Do I think he'll be upset if we go down? Of course he will. But do I think he will back Potter to get us back into the Premier League with the squad that we've got on the youth structure and the academy? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm 100% behind giving Graham Potter um, every possible opportunity. Because as a manager, you know, I don't think he's been doing a bad job. It's the players that are letting him down. You know, for me, I agree with you. B- b- bottom line, yeah. So I guess my other question is, and this is one that, because I agree with you 100%, um, one thing that is kind of sneaking into my thoughts here, uh, is there a worry that he may show himself the door if we were to go down? Similar to, similar to Huppier, although Huppier should have been sacked. Uh, like, in terms of, um, do you do you worry that he may do a, an Eddie Howe and say, I'm, I'm done, I, 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 I want to leave if we go down? No, because I, I I think the the way that he he studies the game and he and, and he has got a long term vision I think for his teams, so I I I think the risk there is someone will come along and actually um, tout him for a premier job because um, there's so many managers out there that are are at the top of their trade that are praising the type of football that Potter has put together at Brighton, you know, and you've got you have people today saying if if we had a proper striker we'd be a top ten team. Without a doubt, so that would be the risk for me is that actually someone will come into him and actually Tony would have to let him go because he's been you know touted by you know a proper top ten team in the in the Premier League. Yeah, that's my worry too. Um, that's that's the one thing that really just sticks with me. I, I really worry that that a team like Everton, Ancelotti, you know, may move on to a, a big lucrative job in Italy or something like that, like he usually tends to do, um, and and they come in for him and, and say the right things. And that would be a, a pretty big worry for me. Um, uh, yeah. In terms of your notes, uh, I know you've got a bunch of them. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything we've missed that we want to cover? Cause uh, we've filled in a lot of this. I mean, there was so much to talk about today with the game. I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised. So is there anything else? When you saw messages, you mentioned about um, the return of Florian Andoni. We, we haven't really talked about him because he's an option, isn't he, up front? Um, and I, 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 
my view is I think he should be given a chance. If he's fully fit and he's he's putting in a training and showing you know good stuff in training, then he's a squad player. He's been put in the Premier League squad, so I would give him a go. Uh, what's your view on Andone? Uh, yeah, agreed. Um, I don't I don't know whether this week was his first you know full training session with the team or or what it is, um, or whether he's been you know just there and thereabouts. We're just kind of officially seeing him now. You know how they do, um, but. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, you know, if he's ready, I think he needs to be there or thereabouts, um, especially with, you know, that that last run in, we're going to need all the all the firepower we've got. And and if the players aren't scoring goals, we know he can. Uh, we know he provides some real bite up there as well, as long as he can stay on the pitch. Um, I, I would like to see him also be a part of the squad. Um whether that's, you know, someone like Zakiri going back down and playing with the under 23s a little bit more uh, and, and continuing to flesh himself out, if that's what it takes for Andone to get in the squad, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we talked about kind of, you know, six months into the season, approaching you know, top, 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 top three player of the season so far. I think we touched on Basuma. I think we probably agreed that for, 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 for me, he's been the standout player this year. I, I think March comes a very uh, close second up to the point of his injury. You know, I still felt there was uh, defensive lapses with, with Solly uh, that you know he used to switch off and ball watch quite a lot um, where he was learning his role. But I think he's been the most improved player this year, without a doubt. I think he found his, his position as a wing-back. You know, so it's, it's heartbreaking to see him out for the season because he was getting better and better. I agree and, with and both Lee, of those. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for me Webster as well. I think was up there. I, I you know, I, I wasn't sure about Webster at the start, but I think he's grown in stature. I think we underestimate D- Dunkey's role in the club. He he, he doesn't look that uh, that ver- verbally on the pitch. You don't hear much of Dunkey, but I I do think that players look at Dunkey and think you know he's so consistent. You know, he, he's graduated from the from the youth structure championship where we thought he was a little bit kind of hot-headed at times you know got himself sent off uh, uh, when he shouldn't have done and he's matured into this great centre-back that is able to do almost anything really you know he can score goals he chests balls down in tight positions that you wouldn't even attribute to anybody else you know I always I look at the Aston Villa game and I think um, uh, Mings against Dunk there was one winner in that game by far Mings just kept clouting the ball out, no real control on him and, and Dunkey did a masterclass in showing how a centre-back should operate. He kept Watkins quiet. You know. So the England team, I'd be interested in your views on, You know, I, I think Gareth Southgate has got a real block on Brighton for some reason, maybe because he paid, played for Palace, don't know. But, you know, I, I, I don't know why Dunk has, has not been in the mix um, when you look at the, the other players that, he could choose, that he's choosing from. Yeah, no, it's honestly, it's just mental to me. Um, I think that I think that the reality is he has that block uh, from biases in his past. Uh, I think he uses the excuse that we're lower down in the table to justify it. I don't think it does, but I think that's his kind of justification when he's being asked about it. If he was going to be asked about it by anybody behind the scenes, I think he would probably say that he wants winning team players, uh, despite his choices obviously not reflecting that. Um mm. But I think the reality is, I think you're right. I think he does have a bias um, for for Brighton in general. Um, I think that I would fully agree with Basuma in March. Uh, Webster was also on my list. Um, I, I'm I'm slowly but surely, you know, 
turning my head more and more to Joel Veltman as the weeks go by uh, as to whether he's going to hit that top three come the end of the season or whether he's going to get his own award for probably the best signing we've ever made pound for pound <laughs> um, in, in any in any season ever because that kind of money spent for that kind of player is just also outrageous. Um, he, is, he has been a hell of a signing for 900 grand. He has, and um, yeah, I, I, I think he's got a lot of miles in, in, in his legs. I think he'll become a great player for us, a great squad player, as well as contributing you know, mainly on the pitch in that starting eleven. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, the, the last thing on my kind of my list to kind of to wrap up was was social media, really. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a Brighton fan, as you, and as we said at the very start, you know, I, I followed Brighton on and off in the early start, but you know, for forty odd years, and yeah, my view is as a Brighton fan, we, we do know how to put ourselves through the ringer, but you know, we support the club, you know, and you, you support the club through thick and thin. And it, the team is not always going to be you know, at their best every single game. And I have, I have to say that if, I, if people are listening to this and, you know, social media, you know, you look at Facebook, you look at Twitter, you know, we're all, we all have a moan, don't we? You know, I've got a WhatsApp group with my mates and, yeah, we have a go at certain players, but privately in that little WhatsApp group, I find, I do find some of the the, the throwaway comments that I put on social media about individual players and about the manager, you know, if they read that kind of, that would no doubt contribute to a lack of confidence. And I think, you know, we've got to get behind the team. And if we don't play well, you know, it's not Potter out. You know, and, it, and it's not you know, the fault of somebody that should be off the pitch and get out of our club as a phrase that people regularly use. I, I think you know, at, the, at this point in time, especially with no fans in the stadium as well, you know, we, we've got to show the players that we are 100% behind them um, and support them through thick and thin. Because for 38 games of the season, they're not going to be at the top of their game for every single minute of that season. So I don't know, I don't know what your, your views are on, on how social media tends to get a, a mind of its own post-games. Yeah, no, I think that, and I think they do, right? Like they absolutely do read those comments. There's no way that certain players aren't going on there after the fact that, I mean, some of these lads are 19, 20, 21 years old. You're telling me they're not on social media. Like they absolutely are. They are reading it, whether it's through their official accounts or whether it's through their dummy accounts that they've made just to follow things because these, these lads are not stupid that they're young lads like anybody else, you know, like I'm 31 and I use social media all the time. You're telling me that, you know, people that are, you know, 24, 25, 26 and, and, having hundreds of thousands in their pocket aren't utilizing social media because they can do it in their free time. Of course they are. And I think there's a lot of players that, um, that like you said, I, I think that we aren't. And I mean, we saw it with Aaron Connolly, right? Like he outright said that like that shit was, was just unacceptable and, and really put a downer on him. Um, and I know for a fact that, that these players are reading it, um, and it, and it will affect some of them. You know, some of them will just shake it off and whatever. But there's a lot that don't. And of course, that they need to do their job on the pitch, and they're being paid an awful lot of money. And uh, I can understand the idea of like, oh, I, you know, I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for a millionaire. But at the same time, they're all just people. Um, and I do think that you need to think before you speak or tweet, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, whilst, whilst we have been critical, I think, of, of, you know, we've gone into depth today on some players. And and I think as long as you do it in a respectful way with fair reasoning, you know, it, it's not, we're not saying that these people are bad people or they're not trying hard. You know, players will go up and down in their form. And, you know, we've called out today, I think, some areas where there's, there's certainly room for improvement. It doesn't mean they're a bad player and they're a bad person and they should get out of the club. You know, and, and I think... I think that respect of opinion is somewhat sometimes left wanting, and it's it's a shame to read because you know I I I support the club no matter what the result. Of course, I get fed up, you know, and I'm fed up today. But you know, I want to look at the positives um, because I I think we're in a we're in a good position, and we we seem to lose sight of that sometimes. Yeah, I think well said. I think there's nothing more for me to add to that. I think you've nailed it. Um, just respect and uh some general social awareness of of the people around you and these uh these people are not larger than life that they're, they're reading the things you're writing so think before you uh you do it because at the end of the day uh although it would be quite a uh quite a stretch you you know you wouldn't want to uh to think that your abuse targeted at a certain player is what caused them to lose their head two days from now in a game um i know it's a long stretch to have that happen but you know some people are not you know mental illness and and mental health in general um and and the way these things can really beat down a player psychologically like is important to to take in to to consideration so i think you've nailed it absolutely absolutely brilliant well thank you so much for coming on john uh you've been a superb guest uh as as expected um so thank you for coming on no, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Josh. I, I, yeah, really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I go on my um, cross trainer in my in my garage and listen to podcasts. So, and I, I listen to yours after each each game. So, I think it's good to to think about the game. And I really I've really enjoyed it actually making some notes. So, um, appreciate you inviting me on. And let's hope as we get to the end of the season, we are talking about being able to go to away games um, in the Premier League next season um, when we're out of lockdown and we can get back to some normality again. Agreed. Agreed. Thanks again so much for coming on. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you on in the future. Have a good week, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thanks a lot.